Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth of PaleoParents.com. You might also know me as the broth lady or the inventor of the hashtag more vegetables than a vegetarian. I'm the co-author of several paleo cookbooks, including Eat Like a Dinosaur, Beyond Bacon, Real Life Paleo. I like to talk about health at any size and self-love and personal acceptance. Specifically, I have a love for lifting heavy things. If you're interested in finding more out about that, you can also find me on Strong Woman Radio. And I'm Dr. Sarah Valentine of thepaleomom.com. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Approach and The Paleo Approach Cookbook. I'm passionate about nutrient density and the intersection of diet and lifestyle with health. Which really means I just love talking about science. News and views, where Sarah and I catch up and you get to listen to our gossip. Hello. So it's 85 degrees outside and it's like a spring has sprung. Yeah. What's happening? It's so awesome. And we had like no winter in Atlanta this year. Like we, we had, had like, snow. I remember it was a thing yeah, for you. Like a half inch one day and we shut everything down and it was super exciting. So I was like, but we had maybe two cold weeks. Okay, maybe I'm just exaggerating because I've been stuck inside my house with pneumonia for a while. But um, it just feels like uh, it just feels early. Like it felt like fall. We had fall, warm fall weather, like really, really late, and then we're getting this early spring weather. And I'm like, wow, I guess uh, winter 2016 wasn't really a thing. <laughs> I'm a little bit concerned that it might come back with a vengeance. <laughs> but- so I've heard that sentiment already today. If people are like we're going to have a I think they called it a blackberry winter. This is apparently the opposite of a Indian summer. Mm. So I might I not even I, I might not even remembering that correctly. I don't even know what that means. All I remember is that almost every single year it snows here after Easter. So I'm just gonna enjoy the weather while it's here, but not hold out hope that it's never going to change. That seems like a sensible approach to life in general. <laughs> it's enjoy what I have. Don't worry about what's coming. Right? So you know why else today was amazing? Tell me. I was among the walking and I ate my first full meal. It's Wednesday at eight o'clock since Sunday at 4.30. Oh. <laughs> it was so amazing to eat a meal. And um, I'm feeling much better. I had like a 48-hour stomach flu, which I guess they now call norovirus. Um, well, there, norovirus is one of many viruses that can cause a stomach flu, like where you're having all the... The all the things and stuff. Things. Yeah, that happened. And there's multiple different viruses that can cause what we call the stomach flu. Um, norovirus, they tend to know it's going around because it's yeah. one of those ones that tends to hit hospitals and um, college campuses, long-term, long-term care hospitals, long-term care facilities, uh, hospices. It's, it was one of those ones that tends to get go through those institutions and they test for it and they'll have like, you know, quarantines and stuff like that because it's life-threatening for people who are 
you know, already ill or immunocompromised. So I can imagine because as a perfectly healthy woman, that took me down so quickly. I was at work Monday morning. Like I went to a meeting at, you know, 10 o'clock and I got out of the meeting and I was like, hmm, I don't feel so great. And within an hour, things and stuff were happening. <laughs> and, and I things was and like, stuff being the level of detail appropriate for for the show. show. Yeah. But I'll just I'll just leave you to imagine how bad it must be for me to completely gloss over the things and stuff. <laughs> um Yeah, and then for the next essentially eighteen to twenty four hours, um, the things and stuff did not stop. And I reached like a point of dehydration where I wondered if I didn't get better in the next couple of hours if we should like go get an IV because I was starting to like see two trees out the window instead of one <laughs> and I was like this this isn't good I'm gonna need to figure out how to keep something down so but yeah I feel so much better and it's awesome that it passed really quickly relatively you know I mean like 48 yeah. hours I mean I can tell you from a slow recovery perspective of myself that I I mean I'm not saying I wanted to trade spots <laughs> but it's one of those things that uh, I think when you're when you're throwing up, you're like, boy, I would really like to have a stuffy nose right now. And then when you have like such a horrible stuffy nose, you can't breathe through your nose. You're like, wow, I'd really trade this for throwing up right now. It's one of those grasses, grasses, greener effects of, you know, whatever illness you have at the moment is like the worst thing you've ever encountered. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I uh after my follow-up after my first course of antibiotics and steroids um and i i knew it was coming um i'm doing a whole second course of antibiotics and steroids for the severe lung infection the probable pneumonia that i've had um now for going on well probably had walking pneumonia for a couple of months and then two weeks ago it became not the walking kind of pneumonia but more the lie in bed all day and not be able to do anything pneumonia, uh, probable pneumonia. So we decided to treat it rather than treat it as though it was pneumonia because it walks like a duck and talks like a duck. Um, and uh, rather than going through all the extra hassle of getting a chest x-ray for confirmation when, you know, it no matter what the course here is obvious, would you like some medical intervention now and um when it's interesting to me because um my cough started in mid-december and every time i did an event for the healing kitchen did some travel did you know did a local seminar in early february did a couple of local television appearances like every time i had a you know a physically stressful thing like that happen i would like go down a notch and I would be like just this little bit sicker and then that would become my new normal and I would like re-figure out how to keep doing all of the things even though you know now I'm this much sicker and I think if I had gone like if, how sick I got I think if I had gotten that sick over a week it would have been really obvious to me like well this is really sick I need to go to a doctor but because it was such a gradual decline over a few months it was really easy for me to do what I have been doing for 30 some odd years, which is to completely ignore how terrible I feel and become, you know, a crazy stubborn person and do things anyways. And I think it's one of the things of, um, I think growing up, 
sick um, and not, you know, having autoimmune disease that wasn't diagnosed until later. I think that um, that creates an environment where a person with my personality type um, can develop these not great life skills of ignoring uh, myself and soldiering on no matter what. And I think, you know, it's one of the reasons why I've been able to do amazing things with my life, but it's also one of the reasons why stress can be such a um, hard thing for me because um, I'm, I'm so good at not listening to my body until my body is basically screaming at me and hitting me upside the head. Um, And I'm just so good at, I'm, I'm so good at just, you know, ignoring it and just, yeah, I don't know. Of course I'll, you know, of course, and of course I'll say yes to all these great opportunities. And of course I want to go on a book tour. And of course I want to do all these things. And I do legitimately want to do all those things. Um, And it's really good for me, or it's really, it's bad for me to not listen to my body complaining that it's not happy with those decisions, but it's really easy for me to ignore it and um, do the whole, fulfill all of the obligations and look after all of the other people and, and do all of those other things. And it's, I haven't been this sick in probably six years. And, um, and it shocked me as I was recovering and feeling better and better and better. And then realizing how sick I still am and going like, wow, I apparently really needed to hit rock bottom to learn a lesson here, which I really have done enough times in my life I shouldn't need to do again. Um, But it was a really interesting, like, once again, exercise for me. I've been working so hard on work-life balance and then having this whole, yeah, you're great at work-life balance from a structure of your life perspective, but not from a actually listening to your body perspective is what that lesson was. and then, um, and then it's also been a really neat opportunity for me to have the more public discussion with people of, okay, so sometimes we make mistakes, you know, like I did not manage my stress well enough. I did not look after my physical health well enough over the last few months when I got this virus, um, that then turned into some opportunistic bacteria that decided to have a party in my lungs. Um, and so you know, part of part of it is sometimes the choices we make aren't the best, but we don't realize that till later. Sometimes thing hap- things happen that are beyond our control. And like infections are generally beyond our control. It's not like I went around and like, hey, do you have pneumonia? Let me lick your face. Like I did not actively go out and seek infection. Uh, I don't know anybody who does that. Um, and so, so it's been this great opportunity to sort of publicly talk about, you know, sometimes things happen that are beyond our control and the need for medical intervention does not constitute failure. If you had had to go and get an IV to hydrate you because of all the things that happened, um, that would not have made you a failure. That wouldn't have meant that you didn't bone broth hard enough, right? Like it's um, needing to take advantage of these wonderful tools that we have available to us within conventional medicine is not failure. 
Um, and as much as we in this community, will, we get into this mindset where we get so frustrated with conventional medicine, right? Especially in the autoimmune disease community where people are getting, right? It took me 30 years to get a diagnosis roughly from onset of Hashimoto's thyroiditis symptoms to, to actually measuring antibodies and saying, hey, look, your thyroid's lazy um, because it's being attacked by your immune system constantly. Um, and so, and that, that's like a nice story, right, within the autoimmune disease community. I mean, there are people who are barely able to function on a day-to-day -day basis because their diseases have such a negative impact on their quality of life and they get told that they're attention seeking, right? Instead of, you know, they're later discovered to have these like life-threatening, you know, serious autoimmune diseases. And so we come from that perspective of, you know, all my doctor wants is to mask my symptoms. I have these five-minute conversations with my doctor and they just want to throw these drugs at me. Um, or my doctor won't listen, right, to what I have to say. And then we find how much therapeutic potential there is in diet and lifestyle changes, right? We find paleo, we find the autoimmune protocol, we see all this amazing healing in our body and we feel so empowered. And it's, there's this like natural want to just like flip the medical system off and be like, I'm never, I never want anything to do with you again. And to really just like eschew the entire system. But my point, and I've said this many times, I've said this on the podcast before, is like we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can have this complementary approach where we're really focused on nourishing our body with an anti-inflammatory, nutrient-dense diet that promotes gut health and hormone regulation. We can work on you know regularly getting enough sleep and managing our stress and being active and living in sync with the sun and um, and embracing human connection and all these things that are really important inputs to health. And then we can still take antibiotics when a life-threatening situation pops up where they're called for. And we can actually combine the best of both worlds. And needing medical intervention does not mean we failed at the diet and lifestyle piece that we're working so hard on. Um, and it also doesn't mean that that piece is pointless, right? So we, we can use a medical intervention and not then fall back into that, you know, I think the problem with public health right now is medications are a crutch and we're using them to keep us going in place of working on diet and lifestyle. And so what you and I try to do and what I think the whole paleo community is trying to do is increase the education around the best food and lifestyle choices so that we don't need these crutches, right? 20% of Americans are on five or more prescription medications regularly. So let's address that situation but let's also realize that there's a time and a place for these medications. And um, and sometimes we have to combine our two approaches. Sometimes we have to, you know, take what works from both sides of this coin and combine it. And that doesn't that doesn't make us a failure. That doesn't right. That doesn't mean we're not doing it right. Um, it actually makes us strong, logical people to be able to to combine crunchy granola with respect for the medical system. I, I agree with you. I also want to emphasize that if people find themselves getting sick often. Don't do what I did and not go to the doctor for two and a half months. Yes. And also, you know, be, be aware. I think that's the most difficult thing to ask people to do. But the most important one is to 
simply be aware and to listen to your body. And, you know, I used to get seasonal allergies. Finn and Matt had debilitating pet allergies. Like we couldn't go to people's homes that had dogs. Um, and there were, there were things that happened to their bodies that created violent reactions. And for me, like I would miss work from seasonal allergies. Right. And so if those kinds of things came back, that would be a signal for me to listen to my body. Like, Hey, this is a level of inflammation that my body is telling me it wants me to try to resolve and not necessarily be on those, you know, average of five medications that people are on versus, hey, I hung out with friends who work on a college campus and shared a bowl of guacamole with them on Saturday. And then on Monday, got the norovirus <laughs> that they had on Sunday, right? Like that's uh, incubation period. Yeah. Um, <laughs> worst timing ever. But they were super nice to bring guacamole over and hang out with us. Not sure I would make the same decision twice, but nevertheless. Just, I'm sure, you know, I am imagining that the frequency of norovirus contaminated guacamole is actually very low. <laughs> and that you probably don't need, I mean, you're probably, if you have the association, right, when you have a stomach bug, you tend to associate the last few No, no, no. I don't associate it. I could never give up guacamole. Let's just be real. I, let's... I, I don't think you need to blame. Guacamole. No, it wasn't the guacamole. It was that we were all dipping our carrots into the same bowl of guacamole, sharing our public germs, thinking, hey, we're paleo people. We've got strong autoimmune systems. It's totally fine. We're no, you know, it's not fine. The, nor the norovirus is not fine. So anyway, there's just a side tangent to say that while I do think that, you know, we are big proponents of science and you know, taking advantage of modern medicine as much as we are of, you know, natural methods to try to put your body in its rightful state, I'll say. Um, there are things that have happened over genetics or whatever that, you know, some people are just going to be different than other people. And, you know, it drives me crazy that I am more careful about the foods that I eat and that I sleep more and all that kind of stuff than Matt. But, he has way less problems than me in terms of, you know, physical ailments. And that's just because simply genetic factors and, you know, who we are and what our heritage are, is and how he grew up versus how I grew up and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But what I can tell you is that we both pay attention to what our bodies are telling us. And, you know, for him, he gets things like, you know, seasonal depression or pet allergies or whatever that cue him to say, hey, I'm you know, lacking vitamin D, I should go on a walk today. Or, um, you know, for me, it's, wow, my joints are um, cracking more than usual. I haven't had organ meat or broth. I should do that. Right. And so it's like, it's a people I find really want like a A plus B equals C solution to things. And, and you want once you figure out I mean, that's the, the, the moving target aspect of everything too, right? So we want to, we've done our elimination diet, we've done our reintroductions, we figured out what works for us, and now we just do that for the rest of our lives. And it's really hard to adapt when, oh no, like right now my body needs something a little bit different. And it's, I mean, I struggle to listen to my own body. It's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. 
Well, I just think, you know, from the perspective of talking about modern medicine, you know, if you do find yourself um, not making progress on things, you know, let's say you're still on blood pressure medication, cholesterol, antacids, and allergy meds, you know, it might be the case that, I don't want to say you're not bone breathing hard enough, but you have not yet resolved the inflammation in your body. And there might be other things that you could try to do that would help resolve that. And some people don't want to hear that, you know, tomatoes might be that because when they eat tomatoes, they feel totally fine. But then if you don't eat tomatoes for 30 days, does your, you know, inflammation get better? Nobody wants it to be tomatoes and it's always tomatoes. <laughs> it's always, no, like I want tomatoes tomato. I want them too. I want them so badly, but they don't want me. <laughs> you know what? So, I mean, in all honesty, if I was tasked with the job of take all contemporary biology, what we know about the good things in foods and the bad things in foods, right? The vitamins and minerals, essential nutrients that we get from foods versus things that are inflammatory, things that disrupt the gut uh, microbiome or the gut barrier, things that negatively impact hormones and create an optimal human diet. And I was, you know, using, rather than using an ancestral health perspective, using purely contemporary biology and doing this whole, like, put things on a scale, how much good stuff does it have? How much bad stuff does it have? And create, something that you're going to call paleo out of that. Tomatoes would not make the cut. And um, that's that's just a really strange thing for me to kind of go like, yeah, tomatoes are paleo. And yet they're probably the most inflammatory food included on a standard paleo diet. And, uh, and yet they're ubiquitous. They are in everything. And, um, you know, one of the things that I really struggle with, you know, I've done a lot of reintroductions from the basic autoimmune protocol. I'm not any nightshades whatsoever. And there's still such a huge percentage of the paleo convenience foods, the prepackaged foods that are really tomato heavy or spite like chili spice heavy, right? Like finding a jerky that doesn't have nightshades is really tough. And there's more options now than there were even two years ago. But um, it's just one of those like, oh, you know, if if, um, you know, I think if you take that purely contemporary biology approach to this, tomatoes are an awfully hard food to uh, rationalize a benefit for. I mean, lycopene's great, but we can get it from other foods like berries, okay. which don't have glycoalkaloids in them. I'm just saying. So. We're just kind of jumping into the topic for the week, <laughs> which if you can't tell, we're just, we're, we're a little bit freeforming today. Um, got questions. We got questions. Do, got are you going to do, are you going to do some science? Maybe we maybe should science. say formally. For, for, we're, we're forming a show. We are doing a show <laughs> that happens to be very close to our hearts as to recovering sickos. Sickos from like actual infection, not the other kind of sicko. I mean, speak for yourself. <laughs> I might be both. Uh, well, no, clearly. <laughs> um, yeah, let me do some science. Next segment is Science with Sarah, where I take a moment to explain the details and the whys. Science. So it's. One of those questions that I get 
often is what can we do to mitigate the negative impacts of antibiotics? And because I'm on antibiotics and on a particularly strong antibiotic, it's something that's very forefront in my mind because I'm now actively doing what how I would normally answer that question. And I thought because we're going to be talking about, um, you know, recovering from illness in this show, um, taking a moment to talk about recovering from treatment for illness, I think is really important. So why antibiotics are an issue is because they are not specific. So when you have a bacterial infection, antibiotics uh, can be a life-saving medication, um, but they kill typically a very, very wide range of bacteria. And because antibiotics are typically taken orally, one of the first bacteria they actually encounter are the bacteria that are living in our digestive tracts. And that's why gastrointestinal side effects are so common with antibiotics. It's because antibiotics, while they will kill whatever you know bad bacteria is making us sick, they also, you're kind of accidentally simultaneously committing mass genocide of the gut microbiome. And we know that the gut microbiome is absolutely profoundly important for our health. We know that having a diversity of different types of uh, microorganisms in the gut is super important. Um, we know, we've identified a whole pile of different strains that are particularly important for uh, our immune health, for the gut barrier health, for uh, mental health. So they can even impact what kinds of neurotransmitters our brain's producing. They can impact how leaky our blood vessels are. They can impact. Um, they can impact even things like skin health. So they have these very distal effects. They're impacting how the immune system is working. Um, and they also do things like help us uh, access nutrients from our food. So those bacteria help digest, especially um, fibers in fruits and vegetables. They can make nutrients for us to absorb, and they can liberate nutrients that are otherwise bound in, um, into structures, compounds like fiber within those fruits and vegetables and make those available for us. So when we kill them all, um, a couple of things happen. So gastrointestinal symptoms, typically diarrhea is very, very common. Um, that <laughs> along with, haha, I said the word and you didn't. Um, it goes along with uh, bloating and gas and stomach aches. Um, often it can go along with nausea, um, of, you know, a... Uh, <laughs> My current state is somewhat revolted by all food. Um, so it can go along with like weird changes to taste buds. But all of this really is centered on what is happening with the gut microbiome. And there's a variety of studies that have actually shown that being on antibiotics once creates an irreversible loss of biodiversity in the gut microbiome. Um, now, we also see this from things like low fiber diets. So there's lots of things that cause irreversible loss of diversity in the gut microbiome. And one of the things that's really important to keep in mind is that um, there we have some limitations in terms of technology for how to um, how to measure the variation in the microbiome. And we also have uh, length of study time variation and also length of their therapeutic diet limitations in these studies. So even though these studies say, yeah, you never get that diversity back, there are some 
studies that could be done to that could actually test that in a more thorough way that I think would be re very relevant to the paleo community. So, um, so when it comes to antibiotic use, there's sort of two sides to it. So one is wanting to mitigate those side effects. So not wanting to have horrible gastrointestinal side effects, not wanting to have, for example, depression and anxiety as a side effect of antibiotic use that purely comes from killing off the bacteria that were helping control the neurotransmitters produced in your brain, right? So these are, these are all effects that we would like to minimize. And then the other part is, okay, so once we finish our course of antibiotics, like how do we get back that healthy microbiome again? You know, for me, I make a lot of choices that are centered around, you know, supporting the healthiest microbiome I can have. So this feels like a setback. It feels like something that um, I'm not terribly happy to have happen. So the, the solution for during antibiotics is to take high doses of probiotics. There's actually been a number of studies that show in certain infections, taking high doses of probiotics at the same time as antibiotics, or it's usually staggered. So you might take your antibiotic dose in the morning or morning and evening, and you take your probiotics as far away from your antibiotics as you can. So if you've got a once a day antibiotic dose, it's easy because you can just take your probiotics 12 hours later. Um, if you've got a twice a day, then you can take it in the middle. So figuring out where that timing is sort of depends on what antibiotic you're on. And studies actually show that taking um, probiotics, and they're usually done with bifidobacterium and lactobacillus, so the most common type of probiotic supplement that we can get. Um, it's also the kind that are found in things like sauerkraut, fermented vegetables. Um, that has been shown to pretty significantly reduce gastrointestinal side effects and can even increase the effectiveness of the antibiotic treatment for things like H. pylori and C. difficile, which is um, infections that are actually in the digestive tract. So, um, so taking high doses of probiotics and, um, you know, you could get something like a prescription for VSL-3. That's been well studied. Um, but there's a lot of different formulas that are available that are very similar. I look for as many different um, strains of lactobacillus and bifidobacterium as I can. I look for a formulation that doesn't have anything in it that I'm sensitive to, like gluten or dairy or soy or whatever. So there's, I usually look for the statement that says does not contain and then all of the list of things I don't want to put in my body. And um, scientific studies, there's not a really strong consensus on how much. Scientific studies vary between, you know, a few tens of billion, uh, either either called plaque forming units or colony forming units, so CFU or PFU, to um, a couple of trillion. So the, the biggest studies are about four trillion per day, um, and you can divide that dose. You can take them all at once, um, and so it's it's pretty. It's getting easier to find. Um, just you know, in the refrigerated section of your health food store, typically. Um, or you can buy these online um, probiotic formulations that are 10, 20, 40 billion uh, CFU or PFU. Um, and it seems that somewhere between 100 billion and a trillion, I mean, certainly safety-wise, studies show it's perfectly safe, and it kind of looks like the more the better. You're not thinking of these guys as replacing what the antibiotics are losing. You're thinking of these guys as doing the job that you're – microbiome normally does or did before you started slaughtering it um, while they're passing through or until they get killed by the antibiotics as well. So you're kind of just thinking of 
trying to keep enough guys going through your system to keep that job still happening. After the course of antibiotics, there needs to be a switch to recovering the microbiome. So then um, taking high doses of probiotics may still be helpful for a while, but it starts to become more of a focus on getting back that diversity. And how you get back that diversity is by feeding uh, a diversity of different fiber types. So a diversity of different vegetables, uh, fruits and nuts, uh, if you tolerate nuts and seeds, to your gut microbiome. So you're giving them a lot of different types of food because different types of bacteria like different kinds of food and um, a moderate fat environment. So too high of fat they don't like. They really like long chain omega-3 fats. So incorporating seafood pretty much on a daily basis is going to be very, very helpful for recovering as well. You can do things like bone broth that really helps with gut barrier function. Um, and then uh, and you do that to tolerance. So sometimes when people take antibiotics, they will notice they're not digesting vegetables as well. So you can focus on more cooked vegetables and you can slowly ramp up vegetable intake. So the types of bacteria that we are trying to support the growth of in the gut tend to be slow growers. And so whatever extra food you eat that they're not helping to break down can then be passed through the system. So if you're seeing undigested food particles in your stool, that's a big red flag. And um, if it's not, if it's not uncomfortable, it's not a big deal, but if it is uncomfortable, you can pull back the amount that you're eating and slowly ramp up. Um, and you're basically going to tolerance. You're, you'd like to stay asymptomatic in terms of your vegetable consumption and slowly increasing the amount of raw vegetables if that's something that you normally tolerate well. Um, at the same time, probiotics then focuses to diversity. So now we're talking about wild ferments, raw, right, raw sauerkraut, incorporating something like kombucha, kefir, getting as much diversity of probiotics, maybe a soil-based probiotic like Prescriptacyst, trying to get as many different organisms because now we're talking about inoculation. So we want to feed the right guys and we want to seed the gastrointestinal tract with the right guys. So it becomes a different focus. So instead of I'm just going to get a high volume of whatever the good guys I can get in pill form are to help mitigate the symptoms. And we actually know that you have less negative impact on the gut microbiome with these high doses of probiotics during antibiotic use. And then the switch afterwards becomes the switch that for me is like a, it's a daily focus, right? A lot of vegetables for a healthy gut microbiome, a lot of omega-3 fats. Those are good in many, many ways. And um, incorporating more um, fermented foods to get that diversity. So for example, a really amazing probiotic supplement that you can get off a shelf might have 10 strains. I mean, a lot of them have two strains of probiotics in them. You might get an amazing one that has 10 strains of probiotics. You might get 600 strains in a batch of sauerkraut. So you're getting far more diversity from a wild ferment in terms of re-inoculating the gut afterwards. And then patience. So, you know, understanding that, yep, this happened. Studies show that it can take months to gain back um, the, uh, a gut microbiome that looked like what we had before. Uh, antibiotic use. And so just knowing that that happened, it was necessary, it sucked, and now we move on and we eat lots of vegetables. Questions and answers, where we answer questions submitted by you through the contact form on our websites, paleomom.com and paleoparents.com. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Want to do a couple questions? All right, let's do it. Cat 
says, I've been on AIP for a few weeks and have been thrown off by a severe sinus infection that has lasted more than two weeks. I've noticed that not only are all the uh, over-the-counter medications not AIP, most home remedies aren't either. Too much sugar or nightshades or artificial ingredients such as artificial sugars and cough drops. I've also noticed that I seem much more intolerant of foods that I thought I tolerated well. Garlic is almost unbearable and any deviance from AIP is very unpleasant. I've basically given myself permission to cheat until I feel better. I try to eat clean as much as possible, but it is difficult. I would like some ideas on how to treat future illnesses without stressing out my immune system further or having to restart my AIP help. So I have to say I was not the best example because I posted eating white rice on my Instagram, but that's because I have successfully reintroduced white rice and don't have a problem with it. I also cooked the rice in broth as a way to get more nutrition in um, and added ghee to it and kelp salt, um, which was what I needed um, to get me through and not be dehydrated. Um, Normally, I crave something kind of baked goody when I have um, the yickies, and there are so many AIP-friendly baked good recipes these days that, you know, you can make plantain muffins or, you know, a bajillion different um, recipes. I know baked apples is something that is um, often uh, settling for me. Eating even just a banana cups of broth um, are really helpful. I know that what would not help me is eating something like a Ritz cracker because then not only is my body fighting the infection or the cold or whatever it is that you have, but then it's also got to fight the additional inflammation of the food that you're introducing when your body's already um, kind of going haywire to address the inflammation of the yik that you have. So um, we've talked a bajillion times before about AIP nutrient density and all the foods that work, but understanding that you're probably not craving oysters and, (laughs) uh, you know, like... um, sardines and all the things that we would normally recommend. I think some, you know, other alternatives might be like a smoothie that you can make with um, collagen peptides or even put broth directly into the smoothie. We have a um, post on our blog with four different recipes for smoothies that we recommend and give some options for adding in things like um, collagen and spinach and stuff like that if if you want to do those. Um, that was one of the things that I had, um, it didn't, it didn't stay down, but I tried. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know, Sarah, what else, what do you, what have you been eating? Um, so I've had, uh, very bad gastrointestinal side effects from, uh, the antibiotics that I'm on and I have been basically food averse. So, um, what I've been discovering is that most things taste like dirty sock morning mouth. Um, yeah, that's totally a thing. Right. And, um, but it's been weird because proteins have been tasting okay. Leafy vegetables have been tasting okay. And apples is the only fruit. Just apples. Every other fruit tastes disgusting. Um, and so apples taste okay. And um, and so that's been basically my focus for the last week and a half and I gather will be for the next few days. Um, and it's for me, it's just been a get 
whatever nutrients in my body that don't make me gag um, and um, and just roll with it. Um, I think it's a different situation if you're dealing with a stomach bug. I think that um, I actually have a, a post on my site uh, called the Paleo Brat Diet that actually talks about the history of the brat diet, which is the standard recommendations of um, bread, rice, ap- no, yeah, bread, bread, bananas, bananas, rice, applesauce, and toast is like the standard, like recovering from a stomach flu, first things that are good to eat. Um, and I actually sort of de- like talk about where that came from and uh, create a paleo version um, that focuses on soups and stews, broth, coconut water, applesauce, and ban- I mean, applesauce and bananas are actually still great great first foods after a stomach bug. Um, and so we can put a link to that post in the show notes. So that's kind of a different situation of like what you do when you've got a stomach that's been doing things um, with a capital T that rhymes with P that stands for pool. No, that's a different, different thing. Um, I, I got that nerdy joke right there. <laughs> um, so, um, so that I think is a different situation. We're talking about something like, uh, you know, Kat had a sinus infection and one of her complaints was not being able to take a medication. And I kind of want to back up to that a little bit because there's part of like choosing foods to focus on nutrient density to support immune function, right? Added vitamin C, added zinc. These things are, you know, shown in, in clinical trials to help speed up healing from infection. Um, but at the same time, like let's address this part of, you know, especially with a sinus infection, one of the best things that we can do for a sinus infection is decongest ourselves. And so, yes, decongestants are not paleo. And depending on what you're talking about, they're, they're things that can have some pretty nasty side effects. They're not AIP. But there becomes, you know, we're starting to talk about this, like, this pros and cons list of, well, you know, how can a sinus infection get better if you can never dry out your sinuses? And you know, what are, what are the ingredients, you know, in these remedies? I'm sugar. I'm really not going to worry about in that situation. Um, depending on, uh, you know, I'm still not going to be super happy about nightshades. I'm still going to be super happy about, you know, red number 40. Um, but I might take a nasal spray that's a decongestant and, um, and not worry so much about what's in it. There are some options like salt sprays, like um, neti pots, or um, there's uh, the same people who make neti pot to do one that actually has like a squeeze bottle so that you can actually rinse out your sinuses with warm saline. Those things can be amazing. They're, you know, it's, it's just salty water. Um, and, uh, and those things can be wonderful. But, you know, at some point, a sinus infection requires a talk with your doctor and, you know, treatment of... You know, standard treatment for sinus infections is antibiotics and or nasal steroids. And, um, you know, you can have like permanent damage to your sinuses. You can lose your sense of smell by having a sinus infection that goes untreated for too long. Um, You know, I think that um, if we're going to talk about giving ourselves permission to cheat until we feel better, then I think we also need to talk about giving ourselves permission to take medication that is going to help us get better. And, um, and I think that, you know, it's frustrating. It's frustrating when it's impacting your ability to make choices that you know are healthful choices for everything else. 
Um, but there's, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's okay to give ourselves leniency in diet without having a, a thorough discussion with a medical professional about what the best treatment options are. Like, I think that if we're going to be lenient in one respect, we need to be lenient in both. And so that we can recover as quickly as possible. All right. All right. One more question. This one's from Tammy. I started following the AIP in January. It's been hard, but I'm doing my best to follow the protocol. I'm using the Healing Kitchen and loving the recipes. And Tammy, I just want to say thank you from Elena and myself for that. Um, I have been really sick this last week and I am struggling. I would normally reach for cold or flu medication. What do you ladies do when you happen to get a cold? When is it okay to take medication? And is it a setback to have to resort to taking something? I think we already covered a lot of that. Yeah. I will say when I personally decide to take medicine, it is usually at the point where I feel like my head is going to literally explode or I'm going to die. And I've tried everything else, including neti pot, napping, more napping. Steam. Do you ever steam yourself under a hot towel? I do like, hot showers because, yeah. yeah um do the, the sink full of like boiling water and then like a towel over my head. I remember my mom doing that with me as a kid. I find <laughs> I find that in the last almost six years now, um, just crazy because I feel like we just had my five year paleo anniversary. Um, I can only recall taking cold medication once or twice. I know that I've had um, Ricola to help with mm -hmm. like a sore throat or something or, you know, whatever kind of preferred lozenge of your choice. But, um, I, I don't have a problem, um, with Ricola and they seem to help me. Um, and the time that I did take something, I just was careful about what I got and I chose a Tylenol version instead of an NSAID version. That's good point. Because of my autoimmune condition. And it was something that I was like really, really intentional and careful about. And it was only because I was like, no, seriously, I really need medication. Like I can't think, I can't move. I, you know, I had terrible headache. I couldn't, I just, I couldn't function and I had tried everything else. Um, and it did offer relief and within like two doses, which was one day, it went away. So I don't know if it was just like the cold past or it actually did help dry it up or, um, I mean, it definitely temporarily relieves symptoms, but I don't know what they can do to actually, um, resolve that. I would say too, Sarah, I'm kind of curious on your take on those kind of Z-pack things that, uh, they recommend that are like high vitamin C, um, supplement packs with zinc and stuff that you take if you feel a cold coming on, like it's supposed to nip it in the bud right away. So, um, yeah. So it's interesting because taking vitamin C and zinc have both been shown in clinical trials to shorten the um, length of time of an illness. With zinc, you have to be kind of careful because you can have, if you're supplementing with just zinc, you zinc toxicity is a thing. Vitamin C is easy because you pee out whatever you don't absorb. Like you can you can't really overdo vitamin C. There is um within uh alternative medicine communities some anecdotal reports of people who go from high dose vitamin C supplementation when they're sick, so they're taking like eight grams or ten grams a day, and then they get better and they stop taking it, of having something called rebound scurvy, 
it's never been established in the medical literature except for in the context of um, nursing mothers. But um, and their babies having rebound scurvy from them dramatically changing their vitamin C supplementation. Um, but it's one of those things in sort of alternative medicine circles that people talk about happens with their patients. So if you're taking high dose vitamin C, um, what is generally recommended is is when you go back to whatever your normal vitamin C intake is, is to wean off, um, even though that's not particularly strongly established in the medical literature. Um, with zinc, it can be very helpful if you're running low and about 73% of us, I think it is, don't actually meet the RDA of zinc. So having a look at, you know, what do I normally eat that are zinc rich foods? Am I likely to be deficient in zinc? Um, you know, if you're not eating very much shellfish or organ meat, you, you very well could be. Um, and that's where doing a zinc supplementation can be helpful. Um, but it's just, you know, something to be aware of that zinc toxicity is a thing and not something you want to compound on top of a, a viral or a bacterial infection. Um, I can't, I'm not familiar with the other, any other ingredients that are in ZPAC, so I can't tell, like, what else is in there. But there's a lot of different options for those types of things. And then for people with autoimmune disease, there's a lot of the, the um, immune booster formulas, right? They tend to be echinacea-based or... Uh, slippery elm based or elderberry based. Um, and these are selective immune stimulators. Um, and if you have an autoimmune disease, they can trigger flares. Um, so that's definitely, you know, when you see these herbal remedies, those are definitely things that are worth noting. Um, I uh, didn't realize until I was writing the paleo approach and I was thinking back and I was researching echinacea and thinking back to oh yeah, you know, my grandmother had me taking echinacea for a cold and then I had this massive health crash. Oh, right. Like it probably caused a Hashimoto's flare when I was in grad school. And there I was continuing to take it because I felt like, oh no, I must need more because I feel so rotten. Um, so there's not everything that's recommended is a, is a good idea. Um, when I personally take medication is when my symptoms are interfering with my ability to sleep. So sleep is phenomenally important for getting over uh, whatever kind of infection. And if my nose is so stuffed up that I can't sleep comfortably, then that's when I take something. Um, I My preference is always for anything that can be local. So I will always reach for a decongesting nasal spray before I'll reach for a Sudafed. Uh, not to mention Sudafed dramatically increases your metabolism and heart rate and kind of like meth and doesn't make for good sleep. Um, so I, I, that's my personal preference is that I would always rather try and keep any kind of, um, medication local. Um, I always look for, um, trying to avoid all of, you know, weird fillers and emulsifiers and food dyes and whatever. Um, I also have, have a long history of susceptibility to sinus infections. So that's not something I mess around with. So I always try to make sure that I, I tend to use saline sprays during the day or um, something like a neti pot um, or hot towel over a, a steaming sink. Um, so I tend to, I tend to sort of muscle through the day with really natural, you know, salt and water type stuff. And then, um, 
if I have to take something, it's it's purely because I'm trying to make sure that I can get the rest that I need and sleep peacefully. Um, and I think in terms of is it a setback to have to resort to taking something? I mean, that really depends on what the thing is. So if the resort is having to take Advil, well, that can actually negatively impact the gut barrier. So um, and and potentially be a setback in terms of autoimmune disease. Um, if it's something like, um, you know, a sinus spray, I, like I, you know, again, check the ingredients to make sure there's nothing funky in there. But, um, you know, those things don't have any particular immune stimulating or, or suppressing effects that are, are established in the medical literature. Um, and they're probably going to give you relief and not set you back. Um, but also, you know, remember that every person's body responds to things differently. Remember that Stacey and I are not medical professionals. Um, and so it's always good to run even an over-the-counter, right? Even a not like out on the shelves medication. It's always good to run that past your healthcare providers and make sure that they know what your priorities are and um, make sure that they're on board with what it, whatever that is. And um, they will know your individual situation a lot better and they have vast bodies of knowledge in their brains to draw from. And they can also help, you know, if you, you know, the unfortunate thing is when you take something that you're hoping will make you feel better and it doesn't, um, having a medical professional who understands your whole health history is going to help you be able to navigate the repercussions of that if that ends up being something that ends up happening, which we always hope it, it won't, but, you know, it can. So I think that, um, I think that the take home message from this whole show is that having to take something, whether it's an over-the-counter symptom management thing so that you can sleep better so you can get over your cold. I don't like the idea of people taking things so they can keep going at whatever crazy pace allowed them to have weakened immune systems so they got an infection in the beginning. But if we're talking about taking something so that you can sleep so that you can get better and you're doing all of the other things, um, that you know, whether it's that or whether it's antibiotics or steroids or whatever it is, because you're super sick, that is not failure. And there's an other side where you go, okay, I got better from that illness. Yeah, I had to take some pretty harsh pharmaceuticals, but we're here now. And now we're going to focus on probiotics, you know, addressing um, if there was, you know, for me, right. For me, it's addressing stress level again. So it's, that's my, my chronic thing. Um, but all right, what's my, what's my life lesson that I learned here? A, go to the doctor sooner and don't be a stubborn idiot. And, uh, B, you know, pay more attention when, um, when stressful stuff starts happening around me. So, um, so I think that, I think that it's really important to not see having to take medication as a failure or a setback while also, you know, as Stacey was, was very clear to say, not letting it be a crutch and not letting medication stop us for, from continuing the pursuit of health through diet and lifestyle. Truth. Hashtag truth. <laughs> So you know, you know what my husband said as I was like, oh, I got a good podcast. I'll talk to you after. He said as I was walking away from him, be insightful. That's but, so helpful. Right? And I was like, uh, oh, sure. I'll try. So hopefully I was a little bit. Hopefully someone <laughs> thought, wow, Sarah's being so insightful right now. 
Do you think that happened? Definitely. Like, you can tell least... him. You can tell him you nailed it. I nailed insightful today. Um. So, do you have any any last thoughts on the uh, illness thing? Because I'd like to go to bed. <laughs> no, I am. Uh, I am not ill anymore. So that's super exciting. And I wish that all of you to not be ill either. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. I, I feel a lot better. Um, and actually, today was my best day yet um, by a pretty significant margin, except for food tasting like dirty sock morning mouth. <laughs> It's 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 a it's a problem. And it's weird because the sweeter the food, the worse it is. So like foods that I normally associate with I don't feel well comfort foods are all not doing it. And I'm like, fine, I'll eat some steak and an apple. <laughs> it's the it's just there was a time a week ago where I totally wished I had a stomach book. But now I'm like super happy. It was just pneumonia or probable pneumonia. (laughs) Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.